Hello and welcome to this summer special episode of the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. I'm Angela Cox, the Mindset Mentor, and I'm not actually meeting anybody today. This is a special episode that is all about imposter syndrome. So whatever you're doing right now, whether you're out for a walk or taking some time to relax with a coffee, just sit back and enjoy what I have in store for you today. So a big welcome to this summer special episode all about imposter syndrome. I don't know about you, but you really cannot escape that term. It is everywhere you look, it seems. I know that I've written about it for various newspapers and magazines. And wherever you look, whether it's in the corporate world, on LinkedIn, on social media, imposter syndrome is there as a label that we can quite easily attach ourselves to. It seems to be the phenomenon that is sweeping both the corporate world and the entrepreneur world. And it's something that if we're not careful, we can actually, almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, become what the label intends us to become. So I guess what I want to cover today is to try and really get under the skin of what imposter syndrome is all about. And then to have a look at, you know, my take on imposter syndrome, which may not be the same as lots of other experts out there, and then starting to think about what we can actually do about it to help you feel more in control, to feel better about yourself, and to start to move away from that label if you think that you are suffering with it. Now, for me, most days I get different emails from usually women, to be honest, that say at the top of the email, I think I'm suffering from imposter syndrome. Now, the majority of my clients are senior leaders and executives who are already extremely successful and they feel like they're being held back, usually by themselves, and want to be able to break through those barriers that are holding them stuck in order to feel better, more confident, and to reach that next level. But I also work with women who find themselves at a crossroads and are wanting to go on perhaps to a different career or maybe they've been at home with children for a long time and want to get back into the workplace. And again, in that scenario, imposter syndrome crops up. So these emails that I get that start with, I have imposter syndrome and I need help, always make me roll my eyes a little bit because I think, oh my goodness, you know, this person hasn't got imposter syndrome They've seen a label, they've perhaps read a few symptoms, if you want to use that word, and decided that this is what they have. And, you know, it's like the problem that we have with Google Doctor, isn't it? You get a bit of an ache in your knee and, you know, you suddenly go on Google and your leg's going to fall off. You know, we can always attach ourselves really easily to a list of symptoms that we see in Google or on social media. So what I always say to clients who send me emails with that as the starter is, well, let's just start of a baseline of you're perfectly okay. 
everything about you is just as it needs to be. Let's start with that as a baseline and then let's understand where you have come from and how you have got to where you are today. And if some of the aspects of imposter syndrome are now present and they're stopping you from being able to move forward in the way that you want to, then fine. We can look at those and we can make that better. But let's not start off at a place where there is something wrong with me or I am broken. Because to my mind, there isn't anything wrong with anybody who has been able to make a success so far in their career or in their life. So we always start with that baseline of, I'm okay. (laughs) And I encourage my clients and potential clients to move away from the label. Now, imposter syndrome as it stands is not even recognized in the DSM. So this is the book that has all of the different ailments, illnesses, syndromes inside of it. And imposter syndrome is not recognized as a mental health condition. So I always feel that that term syndrome makes it sound like it's something medical and, you know, there's something terribly wrong with you, but that's not always the case. Interestingly, in 1978, the term imposter phenomenon was coined and that was by a bunch of researchers who were looking into this idea of inadequacy or fear around being exposed as a fraud. And they coined the term imposter phenomenon, which I think is slightly nicer than syndrome, in the year that I was born, bizarrely. So well over 40 years ago. And now I think it went quiet. You know, certainly it wasn't something that you heard much about when I was growing up. But in the last three or four years, I think ever since Brené Brown came on the scene talking about vulnerability and, you know, the awesome work that she's done around vulnerability and shame and really being able to lean into your feelings. And as a side note now, if you haven't ever heard of Brené Brown, please go and watch her TED Talk, The Power of Vulnerability. And even better, listen to the audiobook, which is just a life-changing book, in my opinion, and certainly did wonders for me in terms of the way that I think about myself. But I digress. Um, I think, you know, this term started to become popular in the last maybe four or five years. And now, literally, as I said at the beginning, everywhere you turn, you're bumping into it. You know, I'm working with corporate companies who are wanting to support their, particularly their female leaders around imposter syndrome and those people that believe that they're feeling it. But equally, the clients that come to me directly who are senior leaders and execs or entrepreneurs are saying to me, I have this thing. Now, if I think about my own experience of it and what I've learned from other people, I actually think it comes down to a handful of limiting beliefs. And you might have one, two, or even all of these. But I believe imposter syndrome is actually linked to limiting beliefs that have been developed in childhood that become so strong in the way that they are able to control and limit the way that we show up that they can almost become stifling and working against them on a daily basis to try and strive forward and move on becomes really exhausting. But if you sit down now and listen to me go through these three or four beliefs that I really think are at the crux of the problem, 
And then you think about the other side of imposter syndrome, which is this idea of being exposed as a fraud. You know, what does that even mean? Waiting to be tapped on the shoulder and found out for not being qualified enough or whatever it might be. Whenever I really dig in with clients and question them around that, it isn't actually a fear of being found out, a fear of being exposed as a fraud that is the problem. It is more aligned to these beliefs that I'm going to introduce you to now. So let's have a look at them. The first one is perfectionism and this idea that either you can't get anything wrong or you must get everything right. Now those two limiting beliefs, you can't get anything wrong or you must get everything right, are almost two sides of the same coin, but they do show up very differently. The side of the fence where I mustn't get anything wrong can often be circled with anxiety. And those types of people who have that belief are quite nervous, quite bumbling in their ways, and almost apologetic for themselves. Whereas on the flip side of that, I must get everything right usually a bit more forthright, a bit more bullshit, a bit more sure of themselves in terms of this outer confidence, but absolutely driven by everything has to be done to the letter. And what happens on both sides of the coin, actually, are that you get these ridiculous standards that nobody can really live up to. And therefore, the perfectionist ends up taking a lot of the responsibility and a lot of the workload on their own shoulders because there's a lack of trust in anybody else's ability to do it to the standard that they expect. And this is a huge part of the limitations that get in the way, particularly in a work environment. But perfectionism can also come in at home as well. And You know, if you're a mom or a dad and you have this limiting belief around must get everything right, can't get anything wrong, then your children will be experiencing that too. You know, so everything at home will need to be just so, everything in its place. You might not like having toys around the place. You'll walk in after a day's work and if the kitchen is upside down, then that will be the first thing that you focus on rather than giving your kids a big hug and saying hello to your partner. So it is hugely destructive, this must get everything right or can't get anything wrong. And it can also lead to defensive behaviours as well. So if you're criticised, it will feel like the end of the world and you will start to defend your behaviour and your thought processes, your ideas, etc. because it hurts so much to be criticised. Now, often when I'm talking to women and some men around imposter syndrome and, you know, we're digging down and understanding what it is that they actually feel, the majority have that belief system. So the must get everything right or I can't get anything wrong, which is driven by perfectionism. And that often comes from childhood. It can either be part of the belief system that you grew up in, so that what we call the schema, and that is, you know, coming from parents or their parents and this idea that everything has to be just so and it's a conditioned response that you've taken on. Or it can come from a moment in time, an experience that you had as a little boy or a little girl, usually pre-10, 
And it's not necessarily a traumatic experience, this. It could be any type of experience which led you to apply a meaning within the experience that because of what is happening now, I am making a decision that moving forward, I must get everything right or I can't get anything wrong. And that will help me to make sure that this situation that I'm in now doesn't happen again. And there it is. The belief is imprinted and you move forward constantly trying to prove that belief to be true. And so you create situation after situation after situation that keeps reinforcing the fact that you must get everything right or you can't get anything wrong. And that then becomes the way that you operate. And it can make working, particularly in a corporate environment where you're within teams and you're working with other people and reporting into people, it can make that incredibly challenging. We've also got what I call good old self-doubt. Now, self-doubt for me underpins this term imposter syndrome. And self-doubt is entirely natural. In fact, any coach that tells you that they can banish self-doubt forever, honestly, in my experience, is telling fibs. You can't banish self-doubt forever. Self-doubt is an inherent part of our human makeup. And in fact, it's there to keep us safe and protected from absolute danger. The challenge with self-doubt is that it can start to grow arms and legs and start to take over aspects of life that it shouldn't have any interference with whatsoever. And it's that where coaching can help. It's that where you can develop a set of techniques to manage the self-doubt such that it doesn't render you stuck. Now, self-doubt for me is very much underpinned by self-talk. And if your self-talk is always on the side of criticizing you, dragging you down, keeping you stuck, then actually it's that where you need to take the control back and change that self-talk into something that's more optimistic and positive. Doing that can create an enormous difference to how you feel. Absolutely enormous difference. And this term imposter syndrome, this label that you've potentially attached yourself to, no, you become healed of it overnight if you can get a grip of your self-doubt and your self-talk. Now, there's another one. And that is the inferiority complex. So, you know, this is something I've certainly experienced in my time in corporates. So the inferiority complex is something that you will experience if you don't have academic qualifications and you work in a fairly senior position with colleagues and co-workers who have got lots of academic qualifications. So, you know, if I think back over my career, my fear of finance directors, now when I look back at that, I think, oh my God, what was the matter with me? What was I thinking being fearful of these people? But it's because based on an experience that I had in childhood, I believed I was never very good at maths. Now that's ridiculous because I did very well in maths, but I created this perception within myself that I wasn't great at it. And therefore, for me, anybody who was good at maths, i.e. finance directors, became a threat 
to me and the image that I had of myself. This also then started to grow arms and legs as these things do and start to go to people like engineers who were very logical thinkers. I'm so not logical (laughs) when it comes to thinking. I'm completely heart-led, heart on sleeve, very emotional in the way that I show up. And so with these very logical thinking engineers who think through end-to-end and have their own way of doing things, when I found myself working in consulting on a leadership team full of them, oh my God, I mean, the inferiority complex was enormous. And what that was doing was eroding my self-belief, my self-worth, my self-image and stifling my capabilities to the point where I'd actually convinced myself that I wasn't very good at what I was doing. And that was nonsense. You know, I had my own unique way of working within consulting and I was very different to everybody else. And that was my uniqueness. That was the thing that was brilliant about me in consulting because I was different and people wanted to buy that. And so I was actually destroying the thing that was brilliant about me by allowing the inferiority complex to take over. Now, I've since done loads of work around that and completely pivoted in terms of the way that I think. But you can see that I could have said that that was imposter syndrome, but I didn't have a fear of being found out. I had this idea that because I didn't have a piece of paper with a degree written on it, that I wasn't valid to have a place around that table. And actually, that was nonsense. But it's a very specific thing. It's a very specific belief that needs to be dealt with in a specific way. And so it's kind of a bit more broad brush. But the fourth thing is around never feeling good enough or never feeling enough in general. And you know what? Every single person on the planet, I would argue, has an element of the never enough program running within them. You know, we are built in that way to always want to go that extra mile, go that bit further, look at what we've done and critique it. Many of us are built in that way. And what happens is we can look at what we've done and critique it and then make that mean that it wasn't good enough and we must do something better. And that secondary part is the bit that we need to work on because actually looking at what we do and critiquing it is brilliant from a growth mindset perspective because you can then say, well, what did I learn from that? How can I do that differently next time? But looking at it, critiquing it, and then making it mean something personal about us and eroding our self-worth, that isn't so good. So the process needs to be interrupted at that point of critique where it can actually be used to drive us forward rather than to hold us back or to keep us stuck. And again, usually the Never Enough program is seeded in childhood in a moment in time and it just grows and grows and grows. And I always think about Jack and the Beanstalk at this, at this point. You know, that seed is planted in the ground perhaps at age seven or eight when something happens and then boom, it turns into a beanstalk and is really difficult to control. 
So these beliefs, they're individual. You might have one or two of them. You might think that you've got all four. The thing is, they are all dealt with very differently. And it really would serve you to get to the understanding of which of those limiting beliefs you actually have. And then to be able to work out the moment when you did it and you can come and see me and have a matrix session to be able to identify that. And then the way that you start to move forward is completely different. So I guess what I'm saying is this idea of imposter syndrome, imposter phenomenon, if you cannot relate to that feeling of being a fraud, then have a look at those four beliefs. So we've got self-doubting, we've got that perfectionism, two sides of the coin, must get it right, can't get it wrong. We've got that never enough program and we've got the inferiority complex. And try and drill down into each of those and see what might be causing it for you. And then what I'd say to you is start to look for the evidence that it's all nonsense because my guess is you will be the worst critic (laughs) out of everybody around you. You will be the absolutely worst critic. And so look for evidence from other people, that external validation that you're probably getting hand over fist and make yourself write it down. I get my clients to do this because they'll come to me with a problem and they'll very much show me one side of the fence, which is what they made it mean. And I always say, what happened on the other side of the fence? What did the other person say? What was the positive intention of the other person? Actually, let's get the whole picture before you decide to make this mean something. And it's the same with external validation. You'll be getting it all of the time, but it will be diluted by your own sense of self and by your own self-deprecating nature. And so forcing yourself to write it down and even to read it out loud makes you see and hear it properly, makes you connect with it. So looking for the evidence is a really important step in starting to dismantle some of these fears, some of these shackles, some of the ways that you keep yourself stuck. It's really about starting to raise up what I call the self-worth baseline. And it's really important that you're able to see your own worth, not only through your own eyes, which is key, but also through the eyes of other people. And then this would lead me to challenge you to go and review your relationship. And when I say that, I mean your relationship with yourself. You know, so how often are you showing yourself kindness, compassion, patience, love? understanding in the same way that you perhaps would do to one of your children or to your parents or to someone that you really love. And often, again, that is where the opportunity lies. Your relationship with yourself is key. And working on that relationship on a daily basis is so very important. Then start to think about celebrating you. And celebrating what makes you unique. You know, back to my story of me and consulting, working with a load of engineers. You know, the fact that I am heart-led, the fact that I can connect with people, 
the instant I meet somebody, the fact that I know what they're feeling and I can really get under people's skin. That was so unique and so good in a selling environment, which is what I was working in, that actually, if I could have just lent in and celebrated that, rather than focusing on all of the stuff that I wasn't and will never be, (laughs) then I could have been even more successful than I was. And I might have actually started to enjoy that role much more than I ever did. So really look at what it is that you are wonderful at. And if you're honest with yourself, you will get under that nonsense that you tell yourself that you're no good. You know, people show up to me and they'll go, oh, I'm no good at anything. And I keep messing this up. And these are senior leaders who are at the top of their game. And I just go, this is just nonsense. Just cut through all of that that you're telling yourself. And let's get down to where your ego lies. Because we all have an ego within us and the ego knows your worth. The ego knows how good you are. And actually, sometimes it's about tapping into that ego that, of course, needs to be managed as well. But it's allowing yourself to actually see your worth and to see all of the things that you're good at and then to celebrate those. So let's not have any shrinking violets. Let's actually get into the crux of what you know you are good at. Then I think it's about really staying in your own lane. You know what? When you look at the Olympics and you look at that track and they've got the lanes, they are there for a reason. It's so that everybody stays on their own path. And that is so important. You know, it isn't necessarily about winning. It isn't necessarily about getting ahead of the competition. It's about getting ahead of yourself. It's about being a better version of you tomorrow than you are today. And that's the only thing that you need to focus on. And if you can stay in your own lane and stop worrying about everybody else, then actually you can do what you are there to do in a work capacity, which is focus on providing value to your people, to your clients, to your customers. Because if you can focus on that, which is the thing you are there for, then you will start to shine. And that's what's important. And then you're moving forward in your own lane. So I want you to look for the evidence. I want you to review that relationship that you have with yourself. Start to celebrate you. Really focus on staying in your own lane and on providing the value. And then if you can do one more thing, focus on getting vulnerable. You know, and I don't mean bursting into tears, you know, telling everybody about what happened between you and your partner last night. It isn't about that. Vulnerability is not about that. Vulnerability is about getting outside of your comfort zone and recognizing that that is going to be hard and allowing yourself to be in uncomfortable and uncertain positions. It's about courage and it's about developing inner confidence from deep inside of you rather than fake confidence that you put on, which happens so much in the corporate arena. Now, if you need help with this, you can come and work with me one-to-one and I would be very glad to do that. I'm also really aware that my one-to-one rates are not accessible for everyone and that's okay 
But what I have done is I've developed two programs online that can really help you. The first one is Courage and Confidence. And that is about unlocking that vulnerability, about developing courage as a habit, about managing self-doubt, about getting rid of unhelpful habits that don't serve you, and about building unshakable confidence, which is a skill that you can create with the right tools and techniques. And I give you all of those. Now, the program is 13 weeks long and it drip feeds into your inbox via an online portal every week to keep you on track and to stop you from procrastinating. It's only £149, which honestly, for the amount of value that's in it, it's just such good value and it will help you beyond measure. So if you do believe that you are dealing with any of those different belief systems that I've talked about today, courage and confidence is going to help you no end. The other program is called Mindset Gym and Mindset Gym is about your self-care, it's about your self-worth and it includes daily deliberate practices as I call them based on positive psychology that is designed to keep you up and to keep you stable. So no going on a roller coaster up and down. One day is great, the next day isn't. This is about keeping you consistently stable. And it's about working on that self-worth baseline that I talked about earlier and bringing that right up. That one is £75 for three months. So, you know, an absolute bargain. Both courses can be done at once. One can be done first and then the other one afterwards. Whatever works for you, but I would definitely go and have a look at those. I'm going to leave the link in the show notes so that you can go and have a look and check those out. And I would encourage you to do so because it will help you hugely. So this has been very different to what I normally do um, in terms of interviewing senior leaders. But I wanted to do this episode around imposter syndrome because I really feel that it has a place right now. If you want to go and listen to the way that I work with clients, then there is a few episodes, particularly episode 21 with my client Lisa where I work with her to get back to some of her limiting beliefs. So that's definitely worth a listen if you have any more time. And for now, I will bid you a very loving farewell. And I would just say, stay safe. We know that we're still surrounded by this dreadful COVID. So I hope you keep safe and well over the summer. And I'll be bringing you more leaders in September. I do hope that you enjoyed listening to the Mindset Mentor Meets podcast. If you did, be sure to check out the show notes to access all of those important links. For more about me, visit my website at www.angela-cox.co.uk. Now, I'd really love it if you could subscribe to our channel so that you never miss an episode and do leave us a five-star review because it really helps us to get noticed. Bye for now. I do hope that you'll tune in next week and take good care.